Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, parents everywhere. Oh, and those who aren't parents as well. Who plan oh, to be parents right. or who are parents of other children, other people's children. There are lots of those. And we always love it when someone listens to us, either in person or on the radio, who's not a parent yet, but who plans to be one, and who in the meantime is getting ready. Exactly. And I guess everybody kind of feels like a parent on Halloween. Here we are at another Halloween. You know, I have lost, we just made a move last year, and I've lost all my Halloween direct, uh, decorations. I am just devastated. I've been down the garage throwing things, trying to find them. I guess the trick of years will just have to be happy with their stuff this year instead of Halloween decorations. But almost every house is decked out for Halloween, and it's, it's so many people's favorite holiday or second favorite holiday is just so fun. You know, in fact, we just went to the doctor's office, and everybody at the doctor's office was dressed in a costume. It was amazing, and we were laughing about how funny it would be if doctors dressed up as vampires. Especially the ones that draw your blood. Exactly. (laughs) That would be really scary. I've got a word to say or two to say about Halloween, but before we do, we better be honest. This show is called Ayers on the Road, and... Indeed, we've been on the road a lot this week talking to parents and so on. But right now, I happen to be on a trail instead of on the road, and I'm riding my horse as we talk. And I didn't plan it this way. It's just that, you know, the ride took a little longer than I thought. And so thank goodness for cell phones. And Linda's at home hoping I make it back in one piece. Absolutely. Um I really do hope you make it home soon, honey, and I'm sure you will by at least half time. <laughs> I've watched. Well, many. yeah, you may, you may, you listeners may hear a marked in, uh, increase in the quality of my voice transmission because right now we're going down a fairly steep hill on my lovely trusty steed, Lady, and Lady's kind of stumbling a little, but I'm hanging on, and I want to say a word about Halloween, which is. In some ways, a kind of a love-hate holiday. In fact, we wrote our newspaper article this week on, we gave it a headline called, Why I Hate Halloween. But then immediately in the first paragraph, we said, no, not really. We actually don't hate Halloween. We just put that headline in order to suck you in and... uh Man, a lot of people are reading that column. We're getting more comments than usual. So I think they're reading it saying, how do you hate Halloween? And then they're getting in there and they're realizing that actually we like Halloween. And the points we tried to make were that why not use your imagination one holiday a year and let kids and yourself, for that matter, be anyone that you feel like being for a whole day and just kind of get outside of yourself. Well, my problem with Halloween, when we had all those little kids home, was that they changed their minds. They had to be three different people in one day or three different people in three days. And so just going to the the Goodwill store or the Desert Industries and trying to rake through 
that to get costumes. Now they have these adorable costumes you can just buy. It's so amazing how much easier it is now, although there are just so many moms who absolutely love that. It was not my cup of tea. And actually, my little dad, who was a farmer and lived through the Depression, would only let me go five doors on our street because he thought it was disgraceful to beg for food. Was it because of that, or was it because he didn't want you to eat too much candy? That's that's the problem a lot of parents have with Halloween, is they know their kids are going to pig out on candy and probably, at worst, get sick, and at best, get on a sugar high that they'll be up all night. And the candy's kind of a tough thing, don't you think, Linda? Well, actually, my mom and dad liked candy, and we didn't oh. <laughs> have much candy. And so, I, I mean, you know, we loved the candy part. However, you know, what we finally came up with with our kids who, I mean, their friends were with, had pillowcases of candy. I mean, this oh, yeah. is obscene. And it's just so fun, I guess, for them to see what they got. So they went out with their friends, and we encouraged them to go a little bit early. And I don't know if we should admit this on the air, but I think we will. And that is that we had them come back, go through and get the stuff they really loved, that they really wanted, and then we gave the rest away for Halloween candy. How bad is that? Did you pick that up, listeners? That is the best Halloween tip you'll ever get. Send your kids out early, have them bring back a whole load of candy, pay them for it if you have to, and then use that to give out to all the kids that come to your door. (laughs) No, honey, pay them for it? That's entitlement. Don't you hear that? Why not? Why not pay them, and then um, that way they'll earn a little money, and you will not have to buy Halloween candy. And um, pay for the dentist. You won't. You you won't have to pay for the dentist, and your kids won't eat all the candy, and you can give it out to all those other kids, and maybe their parents will do the same thing, and that candy will just keep on circulating around the neighborhood. <laughs> Honestly, there's so many different ways to do this. There's so many parents that say, just peg out, eat all you can tonight. If you throw up good, it's all coming back up again. And then uh, we're going to throw the rest away. Or there's ones that say, you know, just two pieces of candy a day, and this should last until next Halloween. You know, however it works for you, I guess, do it. But you do need to think about it a little bit because it's a lot of crazy candy. Oh, ouch. I just, sorry, I just went under a low-hanging branch, Linda, on this horse, and he only, she only knows how tall she is, and she figures if she can get her head under the branch, we'll be okay, but she forgets I'm on her back, but I'm okay, I'm all right, and I'm getting close to home. That's I'll good. soon this be there. That's good. This is a new trail you've never say, been on before. I, yeah, that's right. I want to say one more thing, though, about Halloween. I think... You know, it's it's in some ways the most imaginative holiday. You've got to admit that because kids, not only do they dress up as someone else and get in character, but they get to imagine all these other things and all these spooky things and all these, they get to see their friends in a different light and so on. And I think one thing we need to do as parents is to never underestimate the importance and the power of imagination in teaching kids and so think of halloween as a kind of an imagination training ground oh i'm going past a dog can you hear that dog anyway um think of it as a way to um develop kids imagination and then i'm just going to give you one thought on using a child's imagination to teach values i think what all parents ought to do is to use more role-playing and more case studies, if you will, 
to help kids anticipate some of the peer pressure situations they're going to be in. No kid says, I'm going to go out and take some drugs tonight and ruin my parents' life. No one does that. And no one says, I'm going to go out tonight and get drunk and drive with a drunk driver. I mean, I hope no one could. I don't think kids ever do that consciously. But what happens to them is they get in situations, especially when they're young teenagers, that they have never anticipated before. And the peer pressure is so much greater. And there's so many more kids ganging up on them and trying to get them to do something or try something. And having never anticipated it, they get blindsided and they make a mistake and they pay for it for a long time and sometimes so do the parents. So the same imagination that you use when a kid dresses up as a Batman or a vampire or whatever, just a different application of that same imagination you can tell them stories, put them in situations, do a case study, do a role play, and have them know in their minds exactly what they'll say and how they'll react when they get in these situations as teenagers. Even You can do this, well, I, I think, with eight- and nine-year-olds. Uh, you can, although I don't feel remember that by the time they're teenagers, if they're that young. But there are other little things. I mean, do you it can over and over. Do it. Keep cheating on doing it. School. Yeah, I mean, you can tell a little eight- and nine-year-old, you know, what if you forget to a study or you were sick the day before and you didn't realize there was a pop, there was going to be a quiz in history and you didn't read the chapter and the smartest girl in the class is sitting right by you and her answers are just there. They're just there asking to be copied. What are you going to do? And those kinds of things for those little kids, and that's, you do need to start young on those, um, you know, what are you going to do? Have them think through it. And then when it comes to that, they've already decided what they're going to do. Hopefully they'll decide that they're not going to cheat on, on tests, that they're not going to cheat at all. But if you give them that role play scenario of, you know, this is how it's going to be. I mean, right now you think, oh, I'll never cheat on a test, but it's going to get harder. And then give them the hardest case scenario you can think of. It can be with um, cheating or it can be with drugs. You know, and we may have mentioned exactly. that in an earlier that's show. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. And you can pick out any value you want. I mean, just pick any 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 value you want. You're, there's the proof. Did you hear the proof that I'm on a horse? But you can yeah. pick out any value you want, and you can think, if you use your imagination, now we're talking about your parent imagination, use it to create a scenario or a case study or a situation they might find themselves in someday. Or, if you're brave enough, draw on your own experience. Remember some experience you had when you were overwhelmed or almost overwhelmed by peer pressure. Make it into a little case study. Look, we know case studies. That's how business schools all over this country and all over the world teach managers to make good decisions. They put them in a situation and have them role play what they'll say and what they'll do. Why in the world don't we do that with our own kids? Heaven knows our children have better imaginations than managers and businessmen. So it's a fabulous method, and uh, it actually does tie into Halloween in a kind of an oblique sort of way. Um, And I think you especially love Halloween, Richard, because you 
are such a crazy person, and you love living in an imaginary world. I mean, this man can think <laughs> up bedtime stories that are out of this world imagination. But you know, and you're natural at it. And I think some parents are more natural at at thinking, imagining, and thinking up situations like that. But it is so important to get kids thinking about what are you going to do if? What are you going to do if? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a mother here who said it was a one-year anniversary of her son going out in the parking lot in the winter and doing uh, Papa Willie's, what are they called, in, in a Jeep. Anyway, Oh, yeah, Jeep, doing uh, donuts. Donuts. On the, the, on the snow lot. or the ice. And the ice. And he rolled the Jeep and killed his best friend who was sitting oh right there gosh. by him. And, oh uh, you know, and of course that's just a freaky accident. But, I mean, if you talk through danger situations like that with kids and just get it in their mind, just don't do it. I mean, kids think they're invincible, that, you know, nothing's ever going to go wrong. Or even if they're driving with a drunk driver and, and not even a totally sane driver just doing crazy things, um, all will be fine. We'll be fine. I mean, we do. You do need to get the kids' imagination going. And what could have, what could happen, and what should I do right now? And uh, it's it's just really a good exercise. So I bet you've never thought of Halloween in quite that light. But value Halloween for its imagination, for its creativity, for the sort of relaxing feeling of being someone other than yourself for a few hours, and use that same imagination to give kids role plays and case studies to make some of the tough decisions in their life. Now, when we, we'll take a little break, and when we come back, uh, I'll be off the horse, and I'll be in a quieter environment, and we'll get into where we've been this week and who we've been talking to about the fine art, Linda, as well as the science of parenting. Do you think parenting's a science or an art? I think it's both. And we'll talk about both in the next segment. See you soon. See you after the break. Hi there. We're back again. And actually, speaking of BYU Radio, we were in BYU country this week. We're down in Provo. Um, on Saturday at quite an amazing conference. It was called Students for the Family, organized by Students for the Family. And um, we had so much fun talking to a lot of students who don't even have families yet. In fact, about 80% of the audience yeah. raised their hand and said, how many are not even married? And most of them were single, but thinking seriously about their families. So think about that for a minute. Here you've got several hundred students, not not all students. There were various people there, but mostly students, mostly undergraduate students, most of whom haven't even started their families yet, and yet they're holding this conference that they organized called Strengthening the Family, and they're having speakers and discussions and student papers. I heard a couple of student papers that were just fabulous, discussing various aspects of how we can save the family, how we can be better parents, how the basic unit of our society, namely the family, can be protected, preserved, and so on. I mean, one one young student, Linda, you remember I told you a little about this, but actually presented a paper on Plato's Republic and on 
how parenting was undervalued in ancient Greece, if you can imagine. It is so, sounds so fascinating. I was sitting out at the book table, darn it. But tell a little more about that. I mean, she was apparently uh, very bright and just so interesting. Um, tell a little more about that. Well, I mean, she, you know, she basically uh, did a good job of making the argument that the downfall of all Hellenistic society had to do with the decline of the family, which came about partly as the result of Plato trying to elevate government structure above the family structure. In other words, trying to subjugate the basic unit of society, namely the family, to the political institutions that run communities and that, that run the republic. And and so here was a, it was a marvelous presentation. And then I heard a bit of another one where a fellow was giving a powerful... Um, Treatise, a young, another young student, on how essential it is to help people understand that if you are a pro-marriage person, and if you define marriage as being between one man and one woman, that does not imply in any way that you have a problem, that you're homophobic, or that you have a problem with gays, or that you are in some way against gay rights, it simply is an effort to preserve and protect the institution of marriage. And he did, a, I thought, a beautiful job on a very, very difficult subject. Now, he was British, was he? Did you say no, that? Very, no, very tall? Was, a, was that a different one? Then there was another. There were, they had a lot of professional presenters, but they also had a lot of student presenters. We had the privilege to be the keynote speakers, and we chose to focus on trying to understand that there's room for a tremendous diversity of parents, and that regardless of their differences in religion, in politics, in demographics, economics, and economics yeah. that they still have more in common than they do differences simply because they all care about their children. Yeah, absolutely, and we actually started out by saying that um, we actually, I have to admit that we, before we were even married, we were talking about family and and what we wanted to do with our family and what kind of family we wanted to have and some plans for our family, and I think that's the time you need to think about it before you even start. We are just amazed at the number of people that are married and have never said, do you want to have children, even do you want to have children. Um, not, not only that, but are, how many children would you like to have? Where would you like to live? What do you, what's your lifestyle? I mean, you, you think you know somebody when you get married just because you've been dating for a long time. But as we all know, it's a totally different deal when you're married. And it's so important to talk about family, to have a plan, to have something to run on. Um, we actually didn't... Well. Uh, I was just going to say, Linda, I've got a I've got a confession to make to you, and I decided to do it right on the air, right on right on in public. Oh, and here's here's my confession. I just knew the only way I was going to get you to, you know, like me and keep dating me and go steady with me and marry me was to convince you that I really had a plan for having children. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think you know what the plan was. We're having children, but it's just 
how you take care of the children that you um, that, and that, that we need to worry about. That's when you decided I was a guy worth looking at twice. <laughs> you're absolutely right. And if you were kidding about that, you're going to have to go to your room with only bread and water for two days now. Hey, by so, the way, don't I sound better now? I just got on a landline. Oh, that's a lot better. I just got off the horse and got on a landline. And I do, now that I've got better quality, I do want to tell you a little more about what we had to say to these students for a stronger family. Because this actually happened, and it's quite an amazing thing. The night before the speech, I uh, we were staying in our little, we have a little condo down by uh, the middle of Salt Lake City. And I woke up early in the morning, too early, and was trying to go back to sleep. And I was looking out at the temple, which for members of our faith is the symbol of many things, including strong families and commitments made to family. And that must have influenced me because as I dozed off again, I had quite a remarkable dream. It was sort of a combat. It was almost a daydream, night dream, because I was sort of partly asleep, and I was thinking about this speech we were going to give. And in this little dream, I was in conversation with a single person, a confirmed bachelor, who was telling me he decided he decided he'd never get married because he wanted to preserve his individual rights. And there was a couple there that was married but had chosen not to have children. And there was also a gay couple. So there were five people I was talking to. And they were all giving me these very politically correct views on saying, you know, why we've chosen not to have children because the world's already got seven billion people and we don't... We don't want to add to the problem. And, and another person was saying, and I've decided not to get married because I don't want to take away from my individuality and my rights to be an individual. And the gay couple was saying, why do you have such a confining definition of what a family is and so on? And it was kind of a collage of real conversations I've had over the years. And my point that I made was, before you get into a political argument about things like families and parenting and marriage, you owe it to yourself and to the people you're talking to to tell them what your beliefs are, your moral beliefs, your spiritual beliefs, and so on. And that in this little dream I had, we all did that. And I said, look, you have to understand that I believe in a heavenly father. I believe in a particular kind of God who wants us to have particular kinds of families. And I elaborated on that a little. And then I said, if you'll understand and give me the concession of knowing that those are the things I believe, then I will tell you what my political views are. But you will understand the political views only if you see them in a spiritual framework. And it was really interesting, I think. Didn't you, Linda, to watch, to watch these students think about that and to understand that political views are never entirely separate from personal views and even spiritual views? Yeah, I did think that was very interesting, and and I think it kind of was a jumping-off point for the rest of the of the day because uh, there were a lot that were dealing with that particular question. Right, and. Um, it was really, really interesting to see, but it was really encouraging to me to see how many people there were there. I mean, young people who are really interested in family 
and what they can do to make better families, to um, popularize parenting, to, you know, it, it just seems so unusual that that right. many young people would be concerned about that because it's always been our concern that they, people don't think about it soon enough or early enough. And um, Well, and I was just going to add to that, Linda, it was a beautiful Saturday afternoon. I mean, there were a lot of other things to do. Those those young students could have been in a number of different places, and they had chosen to come to a, fa- a conference on strengthening the family. And I think it really, it really gives you a lot of hope. And and one of the things we've done that we're really committed to is we've helped start a class, a survey class, on parenting skills that's cross-disciplinary. Anyone majoring in anything can take it up at Utah State, and we hope to get same thing going at BYU and at many other universities, perhaps even Harvard, where kids coming in, undergraduates, would have a chance to fill some groups by taking a course on the basic unit of society and actually beginning this thought process that you're talking about, Linda, of what, what, what kind of family do I want and what kind of parent do I want to be and what are the challenges I'll face when I start a family? Yeah, in fact, they've done a wonderful job with this up at Utah State University, where we both graduated. Um, and it's not just in the family life department. It is for anybody that's going to school. It's a basic um, requirement, and they get, obviously, credit. Like Parenting 101. Like Parenting 101, which we don't have in universities often enough. I mean, every almost everybody that goes through that university is now or will at some point become a parent and there is absolutely no training i mean not anymore i mean we've always said they don't give you a training manual when they hand that little pink bundle to you no owner's manual with the baby (laughs) but but it's the same thing as you get older as you go into a marriage there's not much training either i mean you only know what you've come from what your parents have done and sometimes it's we want to do the exact opposite. Sometimes it's one we want to do replicate it. But it is just so interesting that so seldom do we train our kids on a college level or even high school to think about the future, about how to deal with money and finance, finance and so on. If you're in finance, of course yeah. you study that. But if you're, you know, in bioscience, there's there's just no training. Well, and no matter what no matter what you say, kids who. Um that the more you've talked about parenting and thought about it and what kind of a family you want, and same thing with marriage, the more you've discussed, thought about, and reasoned what kind you want, quote-unquote, the better you'll do. The, a, the better you'll do choosing a marriage partner, and B, the better you'll do when kids come along. I wish that every high school would actually have a course, a required course, on family skills, not just something the girls in home ec take, but something everyone takes, just to get them thinking about this pretty much inevitable part of their life that will be coming, and in fact the most important part of their life. And like you said, Linda, we we live in a society where you have to have a license for everything uh, except having children. You've got to have a license to fish. Yeah, but it's yet, true. You know, but having having children. Thank goodness you do need a marriage license. But uh, you know, the more the, my point is, the more kids think about it, the better they'll do in these family roles. You know, they make a stab at it in high schools, and when our kids are in high school, and I think they, I'm not sure if they're continuing or not, but they had them carry around an egg. 
you know, all week and this precious egg and they couldn't let it out of their sight and they had to sleep with it and so on. And, uh, and they, so that they get a picture of how connected you have to be to a child. But in a way, that's almost a negative. Because, yeah, that might make them you know, decide. By the end of the week, they're going, oh my gosh, this is hard. <laughs> I'm never having a kid, but that egg can't react, you know? So, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a nice idea, but I think that kids just don't have any idea what's involved in parenting. I mean, nor do none of us. Um, until we actually are there, nor do we know much about marriage. And the more we can talk about right. our family and our marriage, the better off we're going to be. The better be. off we are. And we're nearly out of time, but we, we want you to know, you listeners, and we, we do hear from a lot of you. And by the way, let me just mention, we love getting comments from you. And the best place to send them is to our email, which is ayers1 at comcast.net. That's E-Y-R-E-S, then the number one, at Comcast.net. We'd love to hear from you. We do hear from listeners occasionally, and it's a privilege for us to talk to you each week and on Ayers on the Road. And this coming week, we'll really be on the road. Linda's headed for Phoenix. I'm headed for Los Angeles to, to speak to big groups of parents and uh I'm also earlier in the week going to speak to a bunch of uh, rich investors in Silicon Valley to suggest to them how they can keep their rich kids from feeling too entitled and too spoiled. So we'll have a lot to report uh, on our next uh, show for Ayers on the Road, don't you think, honey? We we will, and we wish you all the very best for Halloween. I mean, it is really exciting. Last Halloween, we had a um, baby horse. What are they called? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, a little Shetland pony. No, it was even oh, little. Oh, than a, oh a little pony. American pony, yeah, a little tiny horse. It was just one of those horse. tiny little guys that came, came <laughs> trick-or-treating trick at our door. <laughs> it was so fun. The little four-year-old was on the back, and they, the, do- the horse had a little thing. We went and found horses. him a carrot. Did we look for a carrot? We got a carrot one? for him, yeah. And um, <laughs> so you never know what's going to show up at your door on Halloween. We, we really hope you're all having a wonderful Halloween night. Use your imaginations. and uh, We'll see you next week on Ayers on the Road. 